Well, let me add my welcome to all of those joining us online and every person in the room today. Good to see you today. Good to see you. This past week, I had the opportunity of watching the Lord build his church upon these teenagers here in this room today. Amen? Amazing. Amazing. What an amazing experience watching revival happen amongst our young people, amongst our teenagers, our middle school students, our high school students, our 60-something leaders, adult leaders who were there, ranging in age span from 19 to 72. Amazing. 145 students. Amazing. And I want to say this. As a pastor who started in student ministry, I want to say that when students get on fire and the spirit gets in the bones of our younger people, the rest of us need to strap in (laughs) and get ready. because And our sale is up. And so, young people, we're looking to you to help us move forward, to help us continue growing, and to cultivate the kingdom. We need you. We need you. We need everybody. And we also need you. And so receive the charge that you received this past week. And let's cultivate the kingdom together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last week... I shared about two men who dared to defy gravity by climbing the Don Wall of El Capitan in Yosemite. You remember that? Well, in 1972, in the 17th and final mission of the Apollo program, one man dared to defy lunar gravity for the last time. And he, since then, in 1972, has been the final person to walk on the moon. His name is Gene Cernan. And on the way back from the moon... Gene said this, astronaut Gene Cernan, he said, I did what I did on the moon. I walked on the moon's surface by standing on the shoulders of giants. Fast forward to the early 2000s. At the courtyard of the university that I attended, Alderson Broadus University, go Battlers, forever. <laughs> Battler pride forever. At the center of the courtyard, was a statue called Apollo. And it's an abstract rendering of two two individuals, one standing on the shoulders of the other, to commemorate the Apollo program and what Gene Cernan said, as well as lifelong learning in, in higher education, because we all know that learning is really just passing on and hoisting up other people on our shoulders. And for four years, I walked by this statue and most of the time, I didn't give a thought about it. But every now and then, as a younger man, I would think about that statue and what it represented. And I would think about all of those individuals who stood in the gap for me, who hoisted me up so that I could see further and reach higher. And it made me think about my mom. That statue to this day still makes me think about my mom, how she put me up on her shoulders and makes me think about my grandparents, my great-grandparents, pastors, Coaches, leaders, scout leaders. I mean, just a whole number of people, a whole chorus of witnesses who, with broad shoulders, allowed me to stand up so that I could see higher. In fact, the very reason why I'm standing on this platform today, even standing here, I'm thinking about all those. I'm I'm standing on broad shoulders. I'm not standing on a platform. I'm standing on broad shoulders because of their investment 
in me, in my spiritual growth, in my maturity. And what I couldn't see then in 19, I see better now, and I'm sure as my life continues, I'll see better even then. And as I reflect on this, my heart feels so overwhelmed by all the men and women in my life who did this for me. Lord knows I needed every single one of them. You needed every single one of them. We all need those individuals who are willing to step, step in the gap and say, climb up and I'm gonna hoist you and we're gonna reach higher together and I'm gonna help, help you cultivate that gospel message that first came to me and I'm gonna place that in your heart and I'm gonna help you begin to take steps on your spiritual journey to life and help those dry bones come back to life, amen? This past week at student camp, 145 students stood on the shoulders of over 60 adult leaders. And when I looked back and thinking about this message and just kind of hanging out, you know, giving fist bumps and high fives and hugs and helping out wherever I could, I, I couldn't help but notice that what I just described was happening literally right in front of my eyes. And that, quite frankly, happens all over our church. And so I snapped four pictures. I want to show three of them now. I want to show one later. And I want to first start with this young lady named Christy Rodriguez standing in the back row, third from the right, wearing a blue shirt, long brown hair. All of those girls standing on the back row with her were in her small group when they were in high school. But this year, since all of them have now graduated, Christy stepped back into a small group coaching role and let her her girls, who were once part of her group, now lead a small group with other girls, and multiplication, con multiplication continues. The girls in the front row are the girls in the small group of Christie's former small group that she led. I mean, um, what an amazing three generations of faith right there. In the next picture, my assistant, Rosemary McGowan, standing on the very right-hand side, mentored and modeled Christ for Angie Camacho at that very camp more than 20 years ago. Angie's standing on the left-hand side. In the middle are their two daughters who are now leading small groups and have been mentoring girls for years. In the next picture, we see our very own Althea Harris. <laughs> and in that picture, she's like, hey, give it up. I love it. I mean, you just, Wearing the yellow headband, and those girls on the left-hand side were in her small group when she led high school, and the girls on the right side are girls that are in those girls' small group, and then th some of those girls now are leading other girls in elementary and middle school. I mean, and on and on and on. The gospel grows. The kingdom cultivates because of this, because of, because of these individuals and many of you here in this room have chosen to say, I can't help but to tell this story of what Jesus is doing in me with others, and so I'm gonna model it, I'm gonna mentor it in a few, and I'm gonna let, let the story grow. In fact, I couldn't help but to think about that great verse in Revelation chapter 12, which says, they triumph, they meaning you, they meaning followers of Jesus, the redeemed, triumphed over him, meaning the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Victory comes by way of you opening your heart to the redemptive work of Christ in you, and then you share the story. 
That's how, that's how we achieve victory. Victory, faith, and the regeneration of new life and kingdom growth. Anyone who comes to Christ has become a new person, Paul wrote. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Regeneration and new life always leads to multiplied growth. It almost can't help it, in a way, because that's the business and the mission of the Spirit inside of you, to regenerate you from the inside out and to then share that with others. And as we do that in our various aspects of life, you don't need to be in full-time ministry for that to happen wherever you might be, in your corporate world, work, in your home life, in your family, in your school, wherever you might be. Every step we take with Jesus living in us is kingdom ground. And we cultivate the kingdom as we model the principles and as we mentor, and we talked about that in a couple of messages prior. And so now today, in the first message, or in, in this final message of this series, in cultivating the kingdom, we're seeking to build high by growing deep in the three key characteristics of leadership in mentoring, modeling, and multiplying. Jesus demonstrated every one of these characteristics throughout his life and ministry, and with every step he made, he showed this, he lived this, he breathed this. In the first message of the series, we learned how Jesus modeled the kingdom through humble, servant-hearted love from John chapters 12 and 13. And we asked the question of ourselves, what are you modeling? Because our behaviors reflect what we believe. Your actions speak louder than words. So what are you modeling? Last week in John chapters 14 through 17, although we only looked at John chapter 14, but I highly recommend that you go back and read all of chapters 14 through 17, we observed how Jesus mentored kingdom leadership by offering the opportunity for all people to grow in clarity, discovery, and empowerment through his word within the body of his church through mentorship. And as God's people, we closed with the challenge to defy gravity together by finding someone to help you grow so that you can help intern someone else. Today in the final message of this series, John records Jesus in the first moments after the resurrection, giving a clear, unwavering call to all those who follow him to multiply the kingdom through others. Today, Jesus confronts us with the question, whose kingdom am I cultivating? With his spirit alive in us now, whose kingdom am I cultivating? And John 20, first on the scene, on Easter Sunday morning, Mary arrived at the tomb to care for Jesus' body, but much to her surprise, she saw nobody. Nobody expected to see nobody. So she ran back to tell Peter and John, and they rushed to the tomb. Could Mary be right about this? Could there really, could, is Jesus' body really gone? And when they saw nobody in the tomb, they went back home. And there's a lot to unpack about that, about why they chose to go back home, but Mary decided to stay. She wanted to stay to mourn her Savior. She wanted to stay to mourn the loss of his body. And so she, she remained at the tomb, and beginning in chapter 20, verse 11, John tells us this, that Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped to look in. And I kind of wonder if she did that because she just needed to see it again with her own two eyes. Is he really gone? Did someone really do this? Did someone really take my Savior's body? 
And so she stooped in to look in, but this time she saw something else. Quite surprising that she didn't expect to see. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And here in this scene, John wants us to notice something very particular. That what the image resembled that Mary saw looked just like something else. It looked like the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. Going all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 7, verse 89, we learn this. That when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speak to him from between the two cherubim, another name for angels, above the atonement cover on the Ark of the covenant law. In this way, the Lord spoke to Moses. The lid of the ark was called the atonement cover. In other places, it's called the mercy seat. And in addition to Yahweh God meeting Moses to speak to him there in the tent of meeting, the atonement cover also served in a very significant role in the most significant worship service in Israel's calendar year called the Day of Atonement. On this day, a series of sacrifices would be offered on the atonement cover to make amends for the sins of all of God's people on this particular day. And now on the other side of Jesus, what we know now is that the atonement cover foreshadowed the time when God would one day accomplish the complete forgiveness of our sin through Christ Jesus in the tomb where Jesus' sacrificed body laid, Mary saw the fullness of the atonement of sin. And on that, on that stone rock, Mary saw the fullness of God's atonement, saw the fullness of God's mercy seat in the empty tomb. It wasn't a lid anymore on the ark. It was an empty grave. It was an empty grave, and not just for the forgiveness of God's people, but for the forgiveness of all people who come to Jesus Christ and place their trust in their lives in his hands. John continues in verse 13. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And John tells us here that Mary thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and, and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And here John so subtly yet majestically records the most pivotal moment in world history. And as an aside, Jesus revealed this moment to a woman. The first herald of good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was given to Mary. His resurrection redefined God's relationship with humanity. In verse 17, Jesus said to Mary, go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Up to this point in John's gospel, 
Jesus had only spoken about God as the God, as the Father, as the Father who sent me, or my Father, and had only referred to the disciple or to his followers as disciples, servants, and friends. But following Christ's victory over death in the resurrection, Jesus leveled up a whole new way of now relating to God through his sacrifice on the cross and the victory over death in his resurrection. And the way we relate, we relate to God now is our Father and your God and to Christ himself as our brother, representing our full restored relationship to God the Father. He made a way for, for God's people, for us now, who, who know Jesus and who are walking with Jesus to experience the Father with the same kind of intimacy, the same kind of relational depth as the Son, which when we step back and think about that, I want to challenge you to read the whole Gospel of John and pay attention to the intimacy that John or that Jesus engages and enjoys with the Father. And then as you read that, ask yourself the question, now does this belong to me too? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes, as you, as you, as you observe Jesus engaging with the Father in this intimate oneness, in this familial father-son type of relationship, on the cross, Jesus makes a way for us to experience the same thing too with our Father. From the beginning, this, this was always God's intention. God created Adam and Eve in his own image, created all of humanity in his own image, and related to Adam and Eve without any barrier, without any, without any distraction in Genesis chapter two. God said to Moses in Exodus chapter four, this is what the Lord says, Israel's my firstborn son, not just a people, not just a group, but they're, they're my boys, they're my girls, they're my sons, my daughters. God said to Jeremiah, I'm Israel's father. God's heart has always been to love his people like a good father loves his children. But sin divided that, it divided, divided us against God, divided us against one another. Yet because of the father's love for us, he sent his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he atoned for our sins, making a way for us to live reconciled with our father. It made the impossible possible. Are you sensing a theme in John's gospel? The impossible made possible. Following Jesus' first interaction with Mary, John records that later that same day on Easter Sunday afternoon, Jesus visited with his disciples, but in a very, very interesting way, beginning in verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They just killed Jesus. Now they might come after them. They weren't sure what was going to happen, but suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Boom. Imagine that. Imagine sitting in a locked room and, wow, there's Jesus. I mean, and just imagine what these old grimy fishermen must have, must have said. Whoa, you know, like, they, I can't, I just, I just can't imagine. I just love, like, just using my theological imagination to just paint the picture, to paint the scene. These are more than just words. These are, this is life. This is real life story happening. And so I want to encourage you to read scripture that way. Peace be with you, Jesus said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. 
as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Fearful and scared of what might happen. And Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world. I'm sending you to continue the mission. And then John tells us, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Scared and hiding, Jesus appears to the 11 minus Judas, showed them his wounds. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a premonition manifesting in their stress and anxiety. Jesus was real and alive, different, different than how they knew him before the crucifixion, but nonetheless real and standing in their midst, and there he said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In their presence, Jesus charged them up to continue the the work of the Father by helping others live free from sin, the sin that's now been atoned for, the sin that's now been forgiven, to live free from the chains and restored to their heavenly father in the kind of relationship where now we could call a distant God our God and our father. And then John says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, who is pleading on our behalf, who is our ever-present help in times of struggle, who is our wisdom, who is our discernment, who helps us take the next step, the next step. One of the images that John weaves all throughout his gospel is the image of creation, the image of new creation happening. We saw this image a moment ago when Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. That's not an accident. And in a very real way now, Jesus is tending to a new garden called the church. He's growing us. He's cultivating life in us. He's harvesting new life and sending us out into the harvest to garden with him. In the beginning, creator God breathed life. Jesus' breath is a direct reference back to the first garden. When God breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. In the beginning, creator God breathed life into humankind. And now our risen Lord breathes life into us. For any person who places their trust in him, new life. The breath of his spirit is what energizes us. It's what keeps us united. It's what bonds us. When when, when so much wants to tear us apart, it's his breath that unifies us. It's his breath that gives us eternal life. It's this breath that gives us to do even greater works in John 14, 12, to cultivate the kingdom through multiplied leadership and to engage one another with humble, servant-hearted love. His breath is life. His breath is our strength. And then Jesus said something that I don't think anyone expected to hear. Certainly not the 11 sitting in a locked room. He said this, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Reminds me of what Angie said a few moments ago in leading us in worship and what we sang in that song, whatever you bind on this earth will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosened. And when we read that, it's, these are really, this is hard. (laughs) These are really hard verses to understand. And one of the reasons why I wanted to put this verse in the context of Jesus' breath of life in you is because even if it's difficult to understand, we need to listen 
We still need to read these verses and we need to understand what it means. And so if you're thinking to yourself, well, doesn't God alone forgive sins? Then you'd be right. Yes, God alone does forgive sins and he atoned for the sins of the whole world on the cross. And Paul captured this principle when he wrote, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. There's nothing you could do for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good work that we have done so none of us can boast about it. It is a free gift. It is a free gift birthed in love because that's how much your father loves you. God alone achieved our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn it, period, full stop. But imagine if someone bequeathed you a gift in their death and you never accessed it, never received it, lived into it, it's there for you. Jesus gave you the gift of salvation, which beckons the question, okay, well now, whose kingdom am I building? Whose kingdom am I cultivating? Whose kingdom do I belong to now? His salvation work is done, yes, but the mission isn't over. In fact, the mission belongs to you, (laughs) belongs to me. And the next phase of kingdom building continues through us, the church, Christ's living body in the world, not as his his special people or favorite people, but as ones who've been reconciled with the Father through the Son. His charge to send us into the world only makes sense within the context of our renewed and restored relationship with the Father, which means as Christ's body in the world, we can only cultivate the kingdom insofar as we abide in Christ and stay with the Father. Thus, when we announce the message of Christ's forgiveness to all who place their trust in him, you're not, you're, you're not doing the atoning work of forgiveness, but Jesus does desire to use you, to, you to, to speak through you, to offer a forgiving word to someone who needs to know that, they're, that, that their life bound and whatever they're doing has no hold on them. They need to know that. And it happens through you. It happens through you. It happens through the church. If you forgive and pronounce the forgiveness of someone in Jesus' name, then Jesus says, I'm right there. And I'm, I am there to lead that person to me, to draw that person to me through you so that they know the good news that exists for them. And, and likewise, if you warn someone against whatever destructive path they may be going down, Jesus desires to speak to you to say, Help this person turn from their path of destruction to find life in me. I want to use you to do this. I'm breathing the breath of life in you to do that, which means we need to get up close and personal with people. We need to come close to people. We need to get to know others. Let let them get to know us, which means when the culture says, hey, man, you do you, and I'll do me, and we'll be all right. We say, not quite. We're coming up close to you because we want you to see the new life in us, not because there's anything special in me or special about me. No, that's not it at all. We want you to know the Christ who lives in us so that you too can can know the freedom that exists for you and for the world. That's how Jesus desires to use you. So when you see these complicated verses like this, hang in there and sit with it because Jesus might be calling you to do something great 
as you explore the impact of these passages. We come, we serve the world as graced people, showing grace. That's how we serve the world together, as graced people showing grace. Multiplication is always the result of modeling and mentoring. Jesus showed this in chapter 21 when he gave the disciples a haul of 153 fish. Let me encourage you to read that chapter sometime this week. It's amazing what Jesus does in meeting the disciples in this moment. And quite frankly, what John wrote about the 153 might very well be part and parcel to what happened in that moment. They literally brought in 153, and I believe that. But I also believe that there might be something underneath that, underneath that number. And one theologian from the fourth century, a man named Jerome, who was very prominent, very helpful in building the foundation of theology for what we believe is the church, said, you know, 153, that was, at the time, the, the known species of fish in the first century. And so might there, be, might there be some imagery there of the disciples hauling in every known species of fish and Jesus saying, I want you to bring every known species. I want you to bring every person <laughs> to the boat. I want you to bring everybody. And I'm going to give you the means and I'm going to help you and I'm going to provide a way for you. And I want you to know that every person matters to me. Every person matters to me. No one is too far gone from me. My atonement is for everybody. And so let's help them find it. Let's help them follow me. This reminds me of what missionary D.T. Miles said about the gospel, about sharing the gospel. He said, you know, sharing the gospel is just really about one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. That's really what this this is really all about, you know. We're just some beggars who found some food. So don't we want to show some others where to find that food? Some other hungry, some thirsting, where to find satisfaction This is the simplest definition, the kingdom multiplication. We forgive, we warn, we help, we lead, and we offer the way to find living water, the the bread of life. And it begins with a restored relationship to the Father. Jesus' spirit made alive in you and his provision to help you multiply through others. One Christ Journey family has been modeling and mentoring and multiplying for years with children in our church, and I want to introduce you to them. Take a listen to the Jagasar story. I'm Chris. I'm Michelle. I'm Grace. And I'm Sophie. And we're the Jagasars. My wife and I started serving um, shortly after we began coming to Christ's journey um, in 2005. We started serving, I don't know, within the first year we were here together. My first week of serving, um, I realized I want to be that type of leader where the children are learning to be Christ-like followers and be Christians to their world around them. And doing it together, um, it helped us along uh, supporting each other. We would watch those children come from her class to my class, and it would be so great to watch them just develop in terms of their leadership and Christ development as a Christian. The legacy that um, I want to leave, especially with the ones I serve with, because those that I serve with happen to be my family, they're my girls and my mom. I want them to continue to to multiply as well um, to any others in their lives, to, um, to know what a blessing and a joy 
you'll have all the days of your life when you've answered the call to serve God. I've seen my daughters modeling Jesus for others in the way that they interact with the children that we teach. They're very young ages, but at this age, it's about learning how much Jesus loves them. And they do a great job of even just comforting them when they need it, um, sitting with them and showing them love. And um, they have smiles on their faces the whole time. Bringing the Word of God to life on a level that a child can understand, really help them to uh, understand what it means to be a Christ-like follower in their world. When the parents would come and pick up their children, they would have stories to tell from their experiences in our classrooms. And watching that happen week in and week out was uh, pretty incredible. When God calls on us, he doesn't just give you a nudge. Sometimes he pulls real hard at your heartstrings. And we have a choice to make. Step out onto the water. You know, um, Jesus is never going to lead you wrong. Um, it's There is a coming out of your comfort zone. Um, I was once there myself. Being a mentor even, you know, like to my children. Um, encouraging them and you he just won't steer you wrong it's a closer walk with God and it'll change your life do it like go for it because in the end we're all we're all children of Jesus and we should show the kindness and the love for that he gave us to others and I think in the end it would all be worth it what honestly what do you have to lose mm -hmm. you're just gaining some like anything from helping the joy is overwhelming sometimes it's just amazing i don't think there's anything bad that can come of it there's so many blessings to be had and uh when i think about that i don't want to regret missing out on the opportunity to be one of god's servants amen 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 Amen. I love, what, I love what Grace said. Do it. Just do it. And then what Chris said about not regretting. He doesn't want to regret it. You know, I've gone up to Chris. Literally, their whole family has had all four of my kids. And I've gone to Chris and I said, man, I'm counting on you, brother. I'm counting on your family. Because you, you are helping my wife and me model, mentor, multiply my children in the kingdom. And your family has helped a lot of children and other families grow to build that foundation at those young ages. The lower we make ourselves for the sake of others, the higher we grow together as a community. The higher we grow together as a church. The higher we want to grow. If we want to grow, if we want to experience the highest heights, it's all dependent upon how much are we willing to go. How far low are we willing to grow in serving, in helping, and modeling, and mentoring, and multiplying. When the Spirit breathes his life in you, he gives you a gift. And all of you have been given a great gift. And the church in the world, in our city, in our region of South Florida, we need to receive that gift. We need to see you 
living passionately into your gift and modeling, mentoring, and multiplying the kingdom. Jesus doesn't prescribe a method for how to do this. He just says go. And he often will give us the next step to take. And we just keep going and we just keep moving forward together. So are you stepping into the fullness of your Christ-given calling? Empowered by his spirit alive in you. Whose kingdom are you cultivating? Only one kingdom wins in the end. Only one. The other day, let me close with this. I saw this on LinkedIn. And I wanted to show it to you. Because it, it, it really kind of for a moment kind of took my breath away. It's a picture of 90 dots. And each dot represents a year in a 90-year-old person's life. And it kind of took my breath away because most of the men in my family passed away long before 90. And so I looked at that and thought, wow, 90 dots doesn't look like a whole lot, does it? And I'm already a third of the way there. And... Can't help where I am. And, uh, and I just thought, I want to make every dot count. I want to make every one of these dots count. At least every dot coming after, you know, I want to make them count. And it reminded me of a, of a man who came to camp with us last week in the fourth and final picture that I want to show. Uh, remind me of a man named Jim Thurman, standing on the very left. Jim is a gift. Jim is a gift to us. Jim is in the seventh row on that picture of 90 dots. And plus a couple more, yeah. Jim is 72 years young at heart. And as you get to know Jim, you realize, wow, man, you've got fire in your bones. And you're getting after it. And, and as I talked to Jim, I realized, wait a minute, Jim, you've got Lewis here. Lewis serves on, on the student ministry team. He's quickly coming up the ranks as, as an up-and-coming pastor on our team. And you mentored, you mentored him. And then I thought, wait a minute, Lewis, you mentored Dylan standing, standing right in the middle wearing the black shirt. And Dylan is off at FSU. Dylan's here somewhere. Off at FSU leading at FSU in various campus ministries, who mentored Jaden, who's standing to the right of him. Jaden is a senior, just graduated. Just graduated, and I sat in Jaden's small group, and Jaden said, yeah, you know what, during the worship time, I decided to go over to my seventh grade boys, to my small group that I lead back home during the week, and I decided to just pray, pray with them during worship. I wanted to invest into my boys. And one of those boys is Luca, standing on the far right, seventh grade boy, coming up into faith. <laughs> who told me at camp, you know what? I, I, Luca just started serving and volunteering in student ministry, and he now wants to lead a small group. And so in that picture is six faith generations represented in multiplication. Because... An older man in our community said, I've still got fire in my bones. <laughs> I'm still, man, I'm still alive. And if you know Jim, Jim has never served on a church. He's not part of a church staff. He, he didn't just, you know, take up the mantle and say, hey, you know, I'm getting paid to do this. If you know Jim, Jim has given his life to serve the Lord in whatever capacity. 
that the Lord calls him to serve. And we're seeing the fruits of this labor. And so wherever you might be on this journey and whatever might be taking place in your heart, you are called to cultivate the kingdom. You are called to dig in, to grow, and to follow Jesus one step at a time with his spirit of life in you. And so as we close today, as we close this series, I want to invite you to stand together as we close. And i like for you to stand with your hands just in front of you open. And I want to pray a blessing over you and over our church for you to receive today. You know, as I thought about what kind of next step we need to take out of this series, I thought, well, do we, do we invite people to fill out a form or do we invite people to do this or take this next step into getting involved in serving? And the Lord was so clear to me, I want my next step to just be receiving the breath of life and trust the Lord to lead you to cultivate the kingdom of Jesus. We, we love you and we thank you. Lord Jesus, we, we surrender to you. Our hands are open to you. Our hands are open to receive, perhaps for the very first time, your breath of life. Our hands are open to receive our gift of grace, to lead, to love, to love with a humble servant heart of love. Our hands are open to hold, to hold on to one another, to hold on to you. Lord, our hands are open for whatever you desire for us to do. And so as your church, I simply want to say we receive your breath of life. And so lead us on. Lead us on to the simple yet profound charge to cultivate the kingdom, starting first in our hearts and out in the world. And Lord Jesus, where we might feel like those brothers sitting in that locked room, fearful of what might happen on the other side of those walls, Lord, we receive your peace. And we go in your courage and strength. And we offer this prayer. We offer our lives to you. We offer our church to you in the name of the one who atoned for all the sins in the world, who gave life and life abundant to bring satisfaction, healing, renewal, and to give us eternal life starting right now. Amen, Jesus. Lead us on.